This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? Yeah, that's right. I'm excited. It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast, the 250th episode of the show. My God, Jeremy Cohen. When I first started doing, look, do you, okay, here's a question for you. Do you roughly, roughly remember when, about when the first time you came on the the pod was? Because it's, it's. October of 2018 is when we started. Well, I know that when you and I met at an outing earlier that summer. And that I, I remember. Out, and then said like, hey, you know, it'd be great if we could do something. <laughs> a, I mean, it was top of roof. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, <laughs> was it like, I don't know, November 2018? Um, had this been around then had this well hold on had so oh you mean our first our first appearance yeah um oh, you're saying that what content did we talk about first oh no i god knows i don't remember that yeah, I, I my guess is that i the first time i had you on was for a, a post game pod it's possible because so i don't remember doing a post game pod with you we de- oh wait we hold on we definitely did we definitely did post game pods because well, oh well I'm, I'm sorry i'm thinking more along the lines of um when you would would live stream on Twitter. No, yes. For post game pods, yeah. That that is right. We did those and then we kind of pared it down to being more of a weekly thing of uh of quality, not simply quantity. <laughs> well I don't that's boy. I mean the quality wasn't terrible you're stretching then. Stretching the you're stretching the boundaries <laughs> of that word. Um but yeah, no, I, I November ish November sounds right. So it's been it's been two years for the pod. It's been almost two years for you. Um I you know I consider you my co-host of this thing. Um, so thank you for being along for the journey. Here's to, here's to 250 more. <laughs> and who knows, who knows what lies ahead. Um, has it been, has it been a, a good time? Oh yeah, it's been great. I mean, it's amazing how, I mean, think about this team, where we've been at. And we're going to get into it soon. Oh, yeah. we are. Just what the last two years have represented and how it still feels like a blast to do these. So I can only, I can only imagine how great it will be doing this when the team actually is producing wins more so than losses. So yeah, I'm, this has been great. Well, that's, that's a good, so uh, what we're doing, our plan for this episode was, and we're still going to do it to go through the top, our top five most memorable moments. We have not shared our lists with each other um, of the last two years. And, um, yeah, it's not to, not to give away, uh, my list, but there's, there's, um, 
it speaks to it speaks volumes about just what the last two years have been and what they have entailed and what they have not entailed. Um, but in, on in a happier note, I think, well, maybe that's a good entree into this conversation. So we got some news um, that came down on uh, was it Friday. I'm losing track of the days. Friday. Friday. Yeah. So I think who broke it? It was Woj that that first reported and then Shams picked up on some stuff and uh, Mark Stein had a tweet. Basically, it looks like the NBA is thinking of starting sooner rather than later, Um, whether it is December 22nd, um, Christmas Day, um, MLK Day, which is uh, January 18th, has been thrown out there as well. Although for reasons that we we may talk about, I I don't think it's going to be that. I think it's going to be one of the December days. And um, if I had money to put down right now, I'd put it on December 22nd. that and where it's going to be, you know, a condensed season, probably um, 72, 76 games, one of those amounts. I shouldn't say probably the report is that that is what the NBA is in favor of. And it's still there are hurdles and it needs players approval and the whole thing. Um, so I'm trying to think if I have missed any. Oh, yeah. And then as has been implied for a while, um, you know, it's going to be priority prioritizing reduced travel. Um which could mean a lot of things, which could mean more in market, not, not in market, um, divisional games. Um, you know, yeah. Um, that's, I think the gist of it. So Jeremy, let me open it up to you. What are, what are your initial reactions to, to the, the news? It feels like a leverage play in a lot of ways. How so? That's interesting. Well, just in the sense, and uh, there's the, uh, warriors, basically the spinoff from, SB Nation, what we did with the Strickland, uh, with the Warriors, I think yes. it's like dub, dub, dubs or something along those lines. They had an article and it talked about how this in a lot of ways is very much for the owners and kind of using this for let's get some games in. And, you know, you know, the players, if there's a disagreement with the CBA, the players could find themselves getting screwed and squeezed out of more money. And I'm sure the owners would love to do that. But there's a deadline that's coming up on, I believe it's October 30th, where the, yeah. the sides have to come to an agreement. And it's putting an insane amount of pressure, but it's also public pressure. The public pressure is if you have a situation where uh, we now have basketball coming back on December 22nd. That's great. You know, it's fantastic. But, oh, hey, uh, the players don't want to play. Why is it that the players want to deprive fans of basketball? That, that would be a terrible thing. It, it's kind of like that. And, and, and by the way, listen, it's everything in life is political. Let's just call it like it is. Absolutely. Um, the if if you could look at the uh, social justice issues that the players raised in two in two ways. Right. You could look at it as they did a service for the country, which I think we both agree that they did. But that could through the manipulation of public relations that can be flipped around real quick. Like, wait a minute. We got like I'm speaking as the public. Like we got behind you guys for this cause. Right. And now you're going to turn around and be like, oh, wait, no, we're not going to play because of money. Like I could c- tell me you couldn't see that being flipped around real maniacally by the powers that be. Absolutely. It totally could. And that's a concern that I have, especially because now player safety and player health uh, it feels disregarded. You know, we saw how many injuries occurred in the bubble. We see a lot of injuries that occur the first quarter of the season 
And we saw what the injury factor looked like for the strike-shortened year. And I'm really worried that this will happen. Again, where the NBA is going to say, well, we've compromised, and this is the amount of games that we've got. And 72 is fair because it meets the qualification of regional uh, TV deals, and we still give people enough basketball that they want. And I just – I'm very concerned that injuries will – will occur at a greater rate because of that. Can I tell you just something not to cut you, something that literally just popped into my head as you were saying this? What's how, that? This is a this is a longer conversation that we do not have time to have right now, but how nuts or not nuts would it be? I don't even God, I wonder if the players would even be this would talk about an interesting discussion amongst the players. Um, where the NBA is like, all right, we're having whatever, 72, 76 games. It's going to be a little condensed. We're not giving you guys a lot of time. It is a rush job. There is risk. But we are mandating that every player in the NBA must rest for, you know, let's say if it was a 76 game season, they would like mandated rest for 10 games. Like you, you are you are maximum allowed to play 66 games. Like there's a lot of reasons that like that's stupid. Because it's like the um, fans tune in for stars and it's like you're torpedoing TV ratings like ahead of the game. But like I wonder almost like as a as a comp as an olive branch, would the league think of doing something? I, I don't know. Maybe it's probably insane, but I don't think so. Just because of the fact that if you remember that they handed out a pretty hefty fine to the Spurs for resting players on a primetime game, they would basically be hypocrites. Yeah, but this, but like, it's a different situation now. Well, if they're rushing, if but, like what you just said, that this is a rush job. This is. But then the way that the NBA would argue is okay, but we are reducing travel. We're having series, so that's true. Of, you know, no, that's a good. That's a. If a team comes to New York and if the Raptors are playing the Prudential Center, then you could talk about getting six games done in a ten-game span, and you don't even really have to leave. It depends on where your hotel is, but hypothetically speaking, you could stay in the same hotel. And play 10 of those games. I mean, you know, you'd have to move a little bit, I would imagine. But it's reduced travel. It's in the same time zone. It's the same region. I think they're going to look at different ways to help with players and recovery. I think that's also a huge reason why they are going to join um, two of the other three leagues. Them being, I believe, the NFL and MLB in terms of allowing cannabis. Because players... There's a rumor that I had seen where... They uh, allowed they it in... Right. Orlando? They, well, they, were, they didn't allow it. They just didn't test it. <laughs> so people were like, okay, great. I'm sure. And I'm sure that helped with recovery. What are you so, doing downstairs? Oh, we're studying. Yeah. <laughs> stu- we're studying. Anyway. Exactly. So they're going to look at ways to keep the players safe. But the bottom line is it's going to be up to organizations to keep their players healthy and not do a significant injury risk. But it's, it's going to have a huge factor on playoff seating and on draft picks. Because now what you're looking at is if you've got a player who you think could be is more prone to injury, and now all of a sudden every game is worth about 1.17 games because that's what shortening it by 10 games would mean. Yep. Uh, games are suddenly more important, and if you miss you know x amount of games, then it's that times 1.17, which doesn't seem like a lot, but over the course of time it does. So if you rest a player for three to four games, that could have a larger impact than it would have in a normal season. So if you are looking at a team like the Mavericks, who the Knicks own their first pick, it's like 
yes, if Porzingis goes down, maybe it doesn't have a huge effect. But even if it has a slight one, we're talking about a few games of a of their stars being out, potentially landing them from like the sixth pick, or excuse me, the sixth uh, seed in the West to potentially the eighth, or maybe missing, or other teams if they're injured, then maybe the Mavs pick somehow rises. So uh, there's it's a, one other one other thing I didn't mention before. They're going to do the play in. It seems I shouldn't. Say, Say they are, but they're in all likelihood they're going to do a play-in thing again, and we'll see how that works out. But I think the way things are going to go is seven and eight will be the the seeds um, against nine and ten. That'll be up, yeah. Seven and eight will be up uh, up for grabs against nine and ten. But again, it's going to like you know Zach and and Bill Simmons talked about this on their pod. Like it wouldn't be fair to, or maybe it was windy. I don't know. One, one of the pods. Um, it wouldn't be fair to like this year's Mavericks to be in that situation because they were so far ahead of the AC. But I, I guess, you know, you know, it, it would, it could be a situation where you, you, you're, you're, it's a, it's a slippery slope, I guess maybe is what we're getting at here. Yeah. And another thing about the compressed off season that I think is important to note is obviously a lot of Knicks fans are looking towards this year's draft and subsequent free agency. But Obviously, everything's very fluid right now, but I think that the idea of a salary dump while attaching 2020 picks, uh, first round picks, if there's any team out there. 2020. 2020, correct. If a team were to say we, you know, depending on what this year's salary cap is, there was a report very recently that there is a belief that it could drop um, by like 12 million dollars the three to 12 million dollars again this is all of this is speculation but um I, I did happen to see it it said it was going to be about three to 12 million dollars less than this past year at 109 uh, i still it's going to drop that they, well that's that again that's what they're saying i still think there's a i missed a good chance they artificially um inflate it to 109 and then decide but even if it's 109 even if it drops I had thought they'd go up to 115 that we had been talking about in recent weeks because that was what Michelle Roberts said. Well, she said closer to 115. She did. She said closer. You're right. Right. But not necessarily that number as a whole. So uh, we'll see, because the reality is that it's very possible that when Michelle Roberts was speaking and when others have been, it's possible that no one really said the quiet part out loud, which is that there's a strong chance that we can't get any fans in the building this year. Maybe towards the end of the year, like what they were doing or what they're doing right now with uh, baseball and the World Series and what they did the National League Championship Series. That is potentially an option that they have. But right now, you know, if they they're working closely with Yale to try to figure out ways around this. So if they're looking at a loss of five hundred million dollars, then they're probably also talking with Yale and Yale saying, look, even if you pushed it back, you're not going to get the fans that you want in the stands. Well, so wait, you might hold as well on. when you save money. When you're talking about the loss of 500 million, are you talking about the that because the way I re- maybe I misread it, but they the this week the implication is that if they don't go ahead with the season sooner rather than later, they would be looking at a 500 dollar loss, 500 million dollar loss. Right. So what I'm saying is that if they were speaking with Yale and they said Yale, if we start Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Are we able to get fans in the stands at any point this year? Or if we if we push it to March, because that was also up for debate. Maybe it was February, whatever it might be. And so they then Yale could say, look, even if you started later, the chances of you getting fans in the building and not creating some sort of super spreader environment and putting players, coaches, 
which the NBA will not do. Right. That's just not anyone working security, anyone working if there's food, um, you know, who cleans up after you. It's just a nightmare because, I mean, we're seeing it in some football stadiums, but I I wouldn't want to go to any football games to begin with. And the NBA is indoors. It's indoors. Right. A lot of these football stadiums are outdoors. So I don't see the NBA doing that. And as a result, they probably said, "Okay, well, we can either start later and still not get fans in the building or we could start earlier make up some of that windfall and we still deal with the fact that there are no fans. That's and exa- if that's the case, then yeah. you kind of just suck it up and say, we're going to keep the money now. And, um, well, you know, these are the, the choices that we have to make. But in terms of the draft, the way I see it is if we have the draft start on November 18th, which is when it's supposed to be. And if training camp probably starts, what, two to three weeks before the 22nd, then you're looking at a really fast turnaround. But the CBA has a stipulation that you can't – if you don't trade a first-round pick on draft night, then that player has to sign a contract. I, I have to think – I have to think. Maybe they change it. They're going to relax it, that particular – yeah. Because there's a, there was a thing – I think Sam Quinn tweeted out the other day about um, – I mean, talk about getting into the weeds. Um, like the Lakers, for salary purposes, would need to include – I think their first round pick in order to have enough cobbled together enough salary to make a Chris Paul trade. I know, but like they, but then it would get into like, yeah, the the issue that you, you just talked about to me, I think the more interesting issues have to do with like, first of all, from the NBA's perspective, I completely agree with you. And I could just say from, I could, I could say with confidence, the March thing was on the table as recently as like, a week ago, like that's, you know, this, this development is, is new. And I think I, my impression from the conversations that I've had are that they really, the NBA basically took it up to like right before the fin, like the deadline of like when they needed to make a decision to get this thing started sooner rather than later. And to see where the science was, where the country was, where everything else was, you know, we don't need to get into that. Um, and then finally realize, like you said, if we're sitting around trying to hope for like a regular, a real season starting in March, we're not, we're not going to have our, what's the, what's the opposite of having your cake and eating it too. It's, you know, we get nothing. Um, and then there's the cascading effect of the 21, 22 season and the Olympics and all of that shit. So, they're making, I think, the best decision that they could make right now. Um, from a Knicks perspective, I think the salary dump thing is interesting. So you think this brings salary dumps more on the table? Well, it really depends what the number is. I will have something coming out where I don't believe that the salary dump market is going to be quite as um, fluid as I think a lot of Knicks fans may feel it to be. In the sense that – and it, look, it really does depend on what the number is, but it's also the contracts and the teams that have those contracts. Like we're looking at – what are some of the worst contracts that are out there? They happen to be owned by teams uh, that are in a similar position as the Knicks where they also have salary that, or they also have a large amount of cap space. But they don't need to dump their salaries right now because they're also not going to be a good team. So I'm very curious as to what that is and, and if that – if there is a slow market, how do teams build? Well, because then you're yeah. looking at a situation where if you have to 
um, make if you have to add to your salary, then you're looking at free agents. And I'm talking about free agents who are good. And then there are going to be fans who are upset because the team is adding quality instead of maybe trying to focus on um, not making those types of investments. So it's going to affect everything. I think my uh, guess would be that Leon Rose would enjoy any and all of those opportunities to add talent on the cheap. I, I, um, who knows, but it's, this is going to be really interesting, especially, you know, if it's, so let's just take the domino effect real quickly here. There was hope that maybe next season would be a season where they would earn the, the team, all the teams in the league would earn, you know, um, as, like a normal amount of money as in as they would in a normal season that is now completely off the table. And it's about salvaging the television ratings that they could salvage um, and not making the problem worse, but there's still out a lot of money. And if you combine that with what we were talking about before with an arbitrarily inflated cap, that is not justified by the money coming in. So as not to create, you know, a really, really bad situation where you're that we don't have to get into that. But like, then you're left with teams being like, wait a minute, I all of a sudden have to have this, like, this is my salary cap. I have to spend this. Well, you don't have to, you know, the salary floor is what it is, but like teams are going to be looking at potentially having to spend money that they don't want to spend, I think is a fair way to put it. Right. So with put, put the salary stuff aside for a second, I think it's going to make the top of the draft even more interesting because at this point, it's an open secret that like, you know, the wolves have no interest in paying Anthony Edwards 40. What what is the first pick make 45 million dollars over the four year contract? Yeah. Something around this one. Yeah. I, they don't want to pay him that much money for the next <laughs> four years. Um, you know, I, I, I've been talking to some folks. I talked to a college coach uh, a couple days ago who was like, if I was an NBA team, I would not want that person anywhere near my building. Um, There are real fears about him and LaMelo Ball for that matter. Like, and man, this is going to be, this is going to be wild. This is just going to be wild and wacky stuff. It's so funny that we've been talking about this now for 20, however minutes. And, um, we haven't mentioned probably the most direct and obvious impact, which is that if there's more in-market games or more, I keep yep. saying in-market, the <laughs> divisional games, boy, are the Knicks going to do a lot of losing. I had assumed that the most they would do would be six games per divisional opponent in a 76-game season. I went and read Hollinger's piece from The Athletic yesterday. He's thinking they might do eight games. Yeah, per divisional thinking. rival, which holy shit, the Knicks are yeah. going to be favored in any of those. No, he was thinking so that would be 32 division games for the Knicks. And then he also said that you would play each not each uh, conference team four times. So if we're thinking about this in a 72, 72 game span, uh, you're was playing four or three? 32 times. Four, it's a 10 four, so 40. 40, 40 oh, and then no, and, and or, yeah, so that was in his scenario where there would be no opposing conference games. Or I think right. his alternative scenario was like three intra-conference outside of division, but then 10 random against the, op- okay, yeah, I got you. Right, so if you went with the uh, 32 and 40, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, just in the division standpoint, you got to think that no matter who the Knicks add, whether it's good or bad, you're looking at what maybe seven. Well, eight let's, hold on. Wins? Let's, call, let's call it like it is. They the Knicks trade for the, the moratorium lifts. The Knicks trade for Chris Paul. And um, Joe, Joe Harris has a come to Jesus moment where he's like, I want to stay in New York. And Joe, ha- Joe Sai has a come to Jesus moment where he's like, um, I want to hold on to my money. And they get Joe Harris for whatever is left of their salary cap. They walk into next season with Paul Harris, um, Barrett, Mitch, Mitchell Robinson. Uh, who else would their other starter be? Um, f- name your ideal draft pick you know let's just say the safest option at eight is that Devin Vassell will be on the board fine great Devin Vassell um they bring Reggie Bullock back they it's it's like that team how like they would not that be favored team, in any games against that team is lucky if they win eight games and if they go out of out of 32 right yeah and, and this is the other thing where because I was thinking about this last night um, where it's like the Knicks could find themselves in a situation where they are not the least talented team in the East, and yet they still walk away with the worst record in the in the conference because of the fact that if you look at the other divisions, how easy they are. Like Detroit, right? I see Detroit as going to be a worse team on paper than the Knicks, but Detroit gets to play the Cavs eight times. They, they get to play the Bulls eight times. The Pacers, especially if they decide to retool in some way, if they could maybe instead of going like, you know, 0 and 8, 1 and 7, maybe they even win two to three games, but they all add up. Or if you look in the the south, the southeast, uh, if there's a situation Atlanta, where Atlanta, Charlotte, Washington, Orlando, no Jonathan Isaac, who knows yep. if they're going to maybe salary dump. Um, I shouldn't say salary dump Evan Fournier, but like move on from Fournier, move on from Vucevic. Um, yeah, 100%. It's, it's easy to. For the, like, I feel as though they'll all be mediocre, but they play the teams that are on their schedules, and that will inflate their records a bit. Someone's got to win Knicks, those those games. They do, and if you're the Knicks, and if you start out by playing the vast majority against division rivals, then it's like you're not even out of the starting gate, and you're already down for the count. I know I've conflated two different sports there, and <laughs> who <laughs> in horse racing and boxing, but whatever. Who would you uh, hold on? Who would you rather be? Assuming let's assume that every team wants to win every game. Who would you rather be less, the Knicks or the Kings? The Kings are in the division with the Warriors, the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Suns. Yeah, I would. Who who probably, wins? Let's say this: Who wins less divisional games, the Knicks or the or the Kings? <laughs> I think that the Kings lose i think the kings lose more games because i think you can catch a division rival on an off night but not when probably three of the best five teams maybe in the nba i guess in the west rather are in your division uh that's really tough for them i don't i i I was thinking about this uh i think that there's a chance that the kings could actually lose more games than the thunder even if the thunder completely blow it up and the West, the Northwest Division is not an easy one, but man, no. when your fourth best opponent is the Wolves, and they're not a good team, but, yeah, but they even- still have Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell, and they're going to add um, some some sort of quality, yeah. whether it's re-signing Malik Beasley or whatever they do with this pick, they're going to be better than you. But you can still catch them on an off night because their defense is going to be so bad that you should find so. We should also mention the Knicks are the Wolves teams in their league. We should also mention the aforementioned Mavericks. Um, 
Houston, Memphis, San Antonio, and New Orleans. The, like, I'm sorry, but the Mavs are going to like, I don't the, the overall. Okay. So let me, I, I should say the Rockets currently have better championship odds than the Mavericks by not too much, but a little bit. Um, I would not be shocked if the Mavs started next season with a higher over under than the Rockets. I could be wrong. Yeah. But no, I, I think, I yeah. think it's definitely possible, but it all depends on how the three other teams, in my opinion, do in their division. What the, what improves improvements they make? I don't see the Grizzlies adding too much because they don't have the cap space and they're a small market. Uh, the Pelicans are going to yeah, we'll have see. the advantage of bringing back Zion Williamson, who's hopefully healthy, and uh, another year of Brandon Ingram. And maybe maybe know, hold I mean, on though, maybe not Drew Holiday. Maybe not, and that's the thing. If they trade Drew Holiday, it depends on what comes back. They would likely be taking a step back. But that's the thing I agree with as well, where the Mavs are going to be a better team and they're going to have an easier time because they have so many division games that will be um, far easier. In my opinion, it's the second easiest division outside of um, the South. I would, I would, I would agree. We, one other thing we should note, the Raptors could fall off a bit because, you know, just think and say what you want about Marcus Gasol, Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet. Like all three of those guys could, I doubt all three will be gone, but like uh, uh, Gasol went and signed with, um, didn't he say he signed an overseas deal? I know that. Um, he did. He went back to Spain. Yeah. I mean, look, we'll see. Maybe he changed his mind. Who, who knows? But Ibaka's a free agent. Um, obviously Van, Fle- Van Vliet's a free agent. So it's, I, it's going to be fascinating. I'm, I, I'm happy. That this, because like I again, I my my perfect world is I think they get better and look better and feel markedly better and more competent and all of the things you want and lose a bunch of two and three point games. Um, but this is why I don't think they're going to go after Chris Paul. Why? Because because I don't see them in this division feeling like they can make a dent. With Chris Paul, and I also don't see Chris Paul. I was about to say, I, what does Chris I Paul think? think? He's, <laughs> he's got as close to a no trade clause as you can ever have in the NBA. And him looking at it and thinking, like, I don't want to be playing against in, in a, a division that has what Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, and who knows about Gordon Hayward. If he's not there, they would have traded for someone around his level of talent, or at least you know some sort of depth. Um, the Raptors with Siakam. I, I do believe that Van Vliet might go elsewhere because of the fact that if you think about it, he spent this past season in Toronto and then in Orlando, like all the 22 other teams did. But now he might have to be in Newark and then another you go back to Toronto. It's a lot to move your family, especially uh, if they're young. On he the flip side, situ- uh, on the flip side, how would you like to be Chris Paul? Go play for Milwaukee and get to play the Cavs, the Pistons, and the Bulls thir- uh, 24 of your 72 games this season. That doesn't sound too bad. No, not at all. So uh, that's why I really don't think that they're going to go in the direction. But I could see the argument for why it makes sense. Because, as you're saying, they're adding talent, but it's just the schedule that they have is so bad, it's not their fault. They they just can't seem to to mesh. I, but it gives me it, – it, it almost is reassuring. I'm, I'm hoping in some ways that this is the schedule because I'm with you. I want this team to improve, but I just want to be able to say, look, the quality that the front office put on the floor was marketably better. It's just 
they, they can't control who's on their schedule. And, and they happen to play in one of the worst, the most tough, the, the toughest divisions in all of basketball. So, you know, let's, it's fine. It's a, a great draft. You can just pick, you finish the season in the lottery, finish, like, you know, probably top three, top five. You, you rebound from there. And I think you can take a little bit more of a jump because it won't seem as um, as noticeable this year. Because if you were to play a standard 82-game season, then maybe there's a chance you creep on 31, 32 wins, and then you could make another jump from there. But because of how that schedule is so tough, it masks what you're able to do as a team, and then all of a sudden, you're surprising people a little bit, and maybe you're suddenly getting in the conversation of entering playoff basketball. Yeah. And I just, you know, for, for, we'll put a cap on this by saying for anybody who's listening is like, you know, Macri, pick a goddamn side. Are you for tanking or are you against tanking? I'm, I'm against tanking because I think the Knicks are in such a place as an organization where there has been so much negativity surrounding them for so goddamn long. They just need to have a season where they feel good about themselves. And I ha- have come over to the side of wanting Chris, up until now, wanting Chris Paul because I think he is the, the easiest way to make to accomplish that goal in a way that isn't just rent a veteran and you know add a few more wins i think what chris paul brings to your team and your organization is real and is meaningful um on top of just winning a couple extra games like you know julius randall and marcus morris did last season Throw Bobby Portis in there too if you want um, but hang on what just really quickly sure. what exactly constitutes as tanking in this circumstance if you so know that schedule is but against that's, you to begin with that's and my you don't point think that there's a huge market for the salary dump then what does what is tanking for I, those out there who essentially want to lose so i but that's my my point that, that i'm getting to is that i think now with these circumstances with them potentially playing again almost half of their games or you know whatever 40% of their games against I think what can be reasonably considered four of the top 10 teams or four of the biggest threats to win the championship in the entire 10 biggest uh, to win the in the league you can go out there and if they lost a bunch of games it's a lot easier to make the argument that like there are good things happening here yes we did not win a lot of games but the reason we didn't want to game win a lot of games was because of this weird, funky, once-in-a-lifetime schedule. Do you, do you get what I'm getting at here? Yeah, no, I do. I just don't understand how fans can think tanking's on the table this year when the odds are so stacked against the Knicks that they, they – I mean, they could probably get the most um, – I guess, would you say Chris Paul is the absolute best player that they could get this offseason? If they don't get Chris Paul, I don't think there is anything that they could do. with. If the schedule goes the way that it looks like it's going to go with all these divisional games, I don't think there's a blessed thing they could do to right. avoid but them. but I don't think there's anything they could do even with Chris Paul. I think he would make... <sighs> we just talked about how 32 I... games are against the in one of the best divisions, if not the best yeah, in but I think the East I, or the I, West. I think both. it's... Well... <laughs> Yeah, you know and what? We have to Maybe it is the fact that he has taken off time because of injury, <sighs> and that was a huge reason why he was traded in the first place. Maybe and then it's if the difference between cap is crashing down, then that's less money that you have to spend on outside no, I, talent to bolster right. around him. I, maybe it's a difference between going four and twenty-eight against your division, and um, you know, nine and uh, whatever 
uh, is left. 23. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it's what, like, it does what? <laughs> I just don't know what it does for you at that point. It's all relative to me. Yeah. If anything, and then it comes that fine ethical line of is, you know, should you be rooting for losses or wins? And I, I'm of the opinion where you should just kind of do what you can to maximize your team this year, next year, and and moving forward without compromising too much. I know that sounds very abstract, but it's a sort of thing where if you can find similar talent, or at least you feel like you're not going to succeed to begin with, then maybe go after a, a DJ Augustin instead. Maybe, I, you know, you can go after Joe Harris, but throw him a bigger one-year deal instead of three to four years and, and use the market that way. There are tons of ways it can go about it. But again, it's just, we'll see what the schedule is. We'll see what the salary cap is. It's just, it's unfortunate that we could have a very good sense as to where the Knicks are going to be. And it may not be representative of how they, how much talent they have, but it's a process. And if there's a year to lose, it's year one of the Leon Rose administration. That's, that you, that's the big takeaway. It's like that they, they get, this is the get out of jail free card year. Um, and they might as well use it. Um, well, uh, before we get to the second half of our discussion um, and uh, some uh, some top moments of the last uh, two years, a quick word from our friends at my bookie, my bookie, man, they're going to have their work cut out for them um, setting Knicks lines in the upcoming season, because how, what's the biggest line a basketball game is likely to see is a, do you get like a 15 point line. Is that or is that huge? Is that not realistic? That's a lot. So most you're usually within like 12 or 13. Yeah, I would say for even for blowouts, it's probably it might be under 15. I, yeah, I think I remember got, from some Bucks games, it would be like 12 or 13, 14. At a certain point, they, it's kind of just like, why am I even bothering? <laughs> At least well, for the odds, not necessarily for the bookmakers, not necessarily for me, because it's it's a lot. It's a ton. It's, it's uh, a huge bet. Well, um, you're, we'll, we'll be waiting with bated breath to see what, what some of the lines that come out for this NBA season are. And if you want to take some action on those, again, my bookie is the place to do it. You got NFL right now, college ball, the World Series. I, the World Series is still going on, right? It didn't end last night. I know there was a game that had a, a exciting ending. I did have an exciting I, Okay, there we go. So, But it's still going on. Um, there's no shortage of games to watch. Thousands of lines available in all your favorite sports and events. You could turn your game day into, uh, you know it, a payday. Um, whether you want to put all your money on favorites, do parlays, these are the ways to make meaningless games exciting and gives you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real money baker. Don't forget the underdogs. Um, they have a ton of value. We got there's game spreads on my bookie, championship futures, player prop bets. You could bet on the election. You could bet on the NBA draft. You could bet on anything you want. Whatever you do, make sure you put in the promo code overtime. That's O V E R T I M E to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. So you want to make a thousand dollar initial, um, you know, entry into your account. If you put in the promo code overtime, they will double it. Um, one more time, the promo code is overtime to claim your bonus. Um, sign up today and begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. Okay. Um, you want to do this? So I texted you and I said, let's come up with our top five moments in the last two years. So going back to whatever, I don't know, October 15th, roughly, of 2018. Um I figure we go up from five to one. Um, I'll can I, do you want to start with your number five or do you want me to start? 
are we categorizing it as worst to best, best to worst? I'm, no, I'm, uh, so maybe I wasn't clear with the rule. I hope this doesn't throw you for a loop here. I'm, for me, this is the biggest moment of the last two years is my number one, followed by the second biggest moment of the last two years. This is, I see. I, yeah. That does not hurt me at all. Okay. It should be good. Okay. Yeah. So, I'll, well, maybe for one of them, but I'll keep it anyway. It should be good. Okay. So, what's your, what's your number five then? My number five, it would probably be in this case, I'll switch five and four, is stealing Marcus Morris from the Spurs. Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, again, I, I, a lot of these are going to be more negative than positive, as is just the way that it's been the last two years. But, because again, because I thought this is kind of a continuation. Getting Marcus Morris from the Spurs, him going on the hottest streak of his life, and then getting essentially two first round picks. I mean, the second's a second rounder, but it could be thirty one in uh, the twenty twenty one draft. Um, that to me was a really awesome thing, you know, and especially in terms of a, a summer that fans were hoping for a lot more. And the Knicks were able to get something of value, and the the Spurs were poking around on Porzingis, and it just felt like revenge. They traded Bertans for nothing, and then he went off in Washington, even though they didn't even make the playoffs. But still, they traded him for a deal that they wouldn't have wanted, and they didn't get him. They had to settle for Trey Lyles instead. So I'm going to go with that one as number five. But the other four will be much more um, instant moment uh bigger one-time things. Um, I'm actually also starting off with a, a positive one, um, which is the hiring of uh, William uh, Worldwide uh, Wes Wesley. Um, I'm curious, did, did the, did the Leon Rose hire make your list? Um, you know, it didn't, but okay. something else did. Okay. Well, I was, cause I was going to say for me, the Wes hire the, the Leon Rose hire did not make my list. The West hire did. And the reason I'm starting my list with it is because I think when Rose hired, first of all, it had been rumored for a little while. And it's like when the rumors came out, you're like, oh, of course, Jim, James Dolan's going to hire um, Leon Rose. It was like a very much a wait and see, like what, you know, how is he going to play this? For me, the moment that West was brought aboard, and I guess to a lesser extent when like Walt Perrin came to from Utah, it was like this guy's putting his name on this. I'm now I am going to have some more faith um, or a significant amount of faith that this isn't just, you know, um, a big uh, a big joke. So, yeah, Wes coming here. That's that's my number five. All right. My number four is I would call it bittersweet. OK. Actually. So for me, it was draft lottery night of 2019. Uh, OK. Where I thought about you know, I, mean, I thought of that. Yeah, we knew there was an 86 percent chance of not getting Zion Williamson. But because it was a new format and things were exciting, even for that one moment of knowing that the Knicks did not fall to five and then they didn't fall to four. That was incredibly fun. I had a great time and it was awesome being at that bar. And it's so <laughs> weird to think about that in covid times, of course. So I I really appreciated the celebration it felt like it was something we could celebrate for the first time in a long time and it led to rj you know i mean we'll see how things turn out with him but i there's just something about it where if we're talking about singular moments it had a bittersweet effect on me and and 
hopefully hopefully we'll get back to that type of uh setting and we'll have another bar event of some sort there, there will be more bars um it's funny i thought about that it didn't make my list and i think the ultimate ultimately the reason is that i actually would argue that getting the number three pick was the one was like the only boring outcome of that night because if they had gotten four or worse it would have been i think pretty ma- like massive disappointment and if they had gotten two or better it would have been like i, I mean i, I I would imagine it would probably be number one or number two on this list. Um, I actually, I don't know about that. It might, it might still be number three, but it, w- it would have definitely made my list. Um, but I also understand why you, why you put it on here. Um, my number four is the, the win uh, at MSG, the only game that made my list, the win at MSG versus Dallas, um, which I think was bigger. I, I know the game at Dallas came first and that was, arguably the bigger win because it was on the road and which, you know, should make the game tougher. Um, and they needed it. I would also even argue even more because they had just been losing all of their games. Um, but the notion of like KP leaving MSG with a win and like who, like anything was on the table going into that game. Like if Dallas came in and won by like 30 points and KP went off for like 45, like a, a people would have been jumping off buildings. Um, and so that they won that game was, it was a relief. It was exciting. It was a great game. Um, that was also a bar night for us, um, which was a really good time. And um, yeah, so that, that is my, that is my number four. Yeah. I was thinking of doing the Hizonia game with the Lakers <laughs> in the block, okay. which actually is still my, uh, the, the lock screen on my phone. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and the Dallas game against the Knicks at MSG was a lot of fun, obviously, because that was another, yes, as you're saying, event. So it was nice to see that. And, you know, it was nice to see KP struggling and not get the win there. So that was wonderful. Um, for my number three, I got to stay true to the brand. Brock Hard, baby. Hiring Brock Aller as, uh, you know, to be in charge of strategy. <laughs> wow. It, Wow, yeah, because here's the thing. I, <laughs> this list is not he, at all what I foresaw coming. I, okay, great. That's the magic of show business, baby. Um, with Brock Holler, it's a sort of idea where we have not seen much going on, but I can tell that this is a person who play who thinks so far ahead that you're just amazed at what it is. Like, take, for example, uh, dumping Alonzo Trier for Theo Pinson. For a lot of people, it might just be like, that's really stupid. You, you're you not going to bring Alonzo Trier back, who you know was a, an undrafted player and he, he served in some scoring capacity. That's one thing. Or two, you could say, well, he's terrible, but so is Theo Pinson. And for me, it's just thinking like, well, Theo Pinson's got this team option and he can't get traded before draft night. So clearly the Knicks, if they're able to work out a trade – could include Theo Pinson in something in the opposite. It's that type of step-by-step thinking where it's like, Brock, I can see that you're clearly thinking ahead. I love it. And it's great because it it feels like for ages that the plan was just like, "Ah, let's just, let's, let's get stars. Let's do this. You know, let's develop players, but let's bring in no one. Let's have the smallest development team in the NBA and let's bring in an ax and we'll we'll show how important <laughs> this axe is, and let's bring in a smooth talking. Uh, I'm gonna spit coach. out my beer when you said let's bring this axe. Yeah, well, you know, let's have the smooth talking coach who loves data 
And let's see what he does with this. And yeah, it was a, it was a nightmare. So Take that for it's nice to have an adult in the room, several adults in the room. And but especially from a strategy standpoint, as you build out your team and you're not just thinking next star, let's get the next star. It's how can we get that star? Yes. Let's put our, ourselves in position by doing X, Y and Z. And that just hadn't been there before. So that is number three. I love it. Um, I hope we look back on that. I think, first of all, you you chose that because you will continue to live vicariously through Brock Aller. Um, I I think I am convinced that that is your dream job in the world is being the Brock Aller of the New York Knicks. I'm actually going to dress up as Brock Aller for um, (laughs) which essentially is just going to be a question mark uh, uh, painted onto a paper bag. Because I don't know, like we have, there's one photo that exists of him, and I'm still skeptical that that is even him. He's he's, Ka- he's, he's, he's Kaiser Soze, and, and goes in incognito to such a degree that it wouldn't put it past. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Brock Aller submitted a fake photo of himself just so people get thrown off by it, and he can just you know stay low, lying low. No one knows who he is, and I love that about him. Um, I think he he loves that you love that about him. Um, my number three is uh, Steve Mills getting fired um, because it's it felt it felt like a weight had been lifted um, that day because I think there was starting to develop like this impen- this belief of like. Oh my God, Steve Mills is just always going to have a job and it doesn't matter what they do or what this team does. And, um, it's just always going to be bad. And, um, yeah, uh, it's, and it was the most, I think, I think it was the most excited, you know, maybe I I guess Isaiah Thomas getting, although I don't really remember that clearly the day I think Isaiah Thomas was like reassigned or something. Well, which Mills was also, we should say, but like, I don't really remember when Isaiah Thomas was like, like, I think actually if I'm maybe I'm mixing this up, but I think Walsh was brought in when Thomas was like still here and had an active role and Thomas wasn't actually fired. But like Walsh coming in was basically like an implication like, oh, there's an adult in the room now. But there there wasn't that same level of satisfaction like Day Mills was was, you know, out as president. Like there was a a palpable like you, you breathe the sigh of relief. Like we, you didn't know what, what was coming down the pike, but I think everybody was in agreement. Like whatever was coming was going to be better than what was here. Um, so that is, that is my, I can't believe I did just hear to me. I started off my list with three positives. That's nuts. And yeah, I'm not going to say anything else. All right. What's your number two most monumental oh, moment in the last uh, two years. My number one was Steve Mills. So I'm going to switch number two and number one. Oh um, wait, no, no, no! So th- 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 I just took your number one. I didn't. I would have. No, not- no, no, no. It's okay because we're on the conversation. Number one, maybe. You know, I don't want to give away what it is. Well, no. Okay, so anyway, switch it and talk so, about Mills. Well, yeah. So let's talk Mills as number two. Um, yeah, I remember it was like the Sunday or the Monday before he was fired, or it was. I think. Well, no, he must have been fired on that Sunday or Monday, right? Oh, he was, was so he was he was one hundred percent fired on a weekday because I was okay, sitting good. in an office in my school. Got it. Okay, so I I remember reading a tweet and it felt like some sort of uh, jokey Knicks fan fiction tweet where it was like Steve Mills was seen leaving MSG oh, by a security guard. He was really I upset, remember. And sad, and I was just thinking like, oh, that would be you know, I don't 
you don't really want people to lose their job, but if they're not good at it, then you kind of want a new situation. Oh my God. I so forgot like, that. it'd be great if we could finally be free, but like, you know, come on. I, I don't think that would really happen. And then a few days later, Woj tweeted it out and it really did. It felt like freedom and it kind of gave this impression of the Knicks could go in any direction and it would have worked perfectly fine. And look, you could say it could go worse and it could have gone worse, but there was something about Mills where it was like, I don't have to stand for a guy who is unqualified. I don't have to worry about someone who just was not from a basketball world in the first place uh, in terms of evaluating talent. And that's okay. And then you move to Leon Rose and it's kind of like, oh, well, this is a little scary because he's never worked in that capacity. But the difference between him and someone like Mills is that what night and day. Right. Exactly. Even if even if they didn't share the capacity, even if uh, Steve Mills had a greater role in a front office than Leon Rose, the perspective seemed vastly different. And it shouldn't be lost on people that the only time where Steve Mills, even though he was not having the largest or a large voice in the organization, the only times where the Knicks did well was when he wasn't with the team. And other than that, they did terribly. So it was really nice to not have to worry about Steve Mills anymore. And then Scott Perry made the Marcus Morris trade. And we could just go on with Leon Rose retooling the entire organization pretty much from top to bottom, except for, I guess, Scott Perry. And Which we'll see what happens there. Right, we'll see. But it, it just felt like a new day. And I'm... I'm happy that Steve Mills is still employed somewhere. I'm just even more elated that it is not um, as the Knicks president of basketball operations, <laughs> GM or any other. You know what? I wish I could say that I cared whether he was still employed. I would really love to be that good of a person. Um, maybe well, it, so. I just don't want to be a bad person on air. So I'm taking the high road. here. Good for you. Um, that chip has uh, long ago sailed for me. Um on that note, I find it interesting that you are four into your list and you have not had a negative thing, which I, well, I mean, that's, that's your choice. Um, my top two are, uh, uh, not good. So my, my number two, and I said, I said to you when I texted you about this, I was like, think about it as like the top five things you, you know, you might, you know, tell your, your grandkids about 40 years from now or whatever. Um, I, I wouldn't like to me. The things that we've talked about so far are not like they're not making the story of the new in the, in the grand the grand story of the New York Knicks. I don't know if any of that's making it my top two. I think one obviously will, but the other one has a chance to. So my number two is KD choosing uh, Brooklyn. Um, um, and and before anybody says anything or or ats me or whatever the hell, it's like I'm not saying like I wish we had KD and Kyrie. Um, to be honest with you, I don't um, at this point. Um, that's a longer conversation for a different podcast, but it's it was in terms of just, again, the monumental impact of that of that day for me personally. I don't know. Maybe, maybe other people were like, yeah, oh, we never wanted those guys anyway. And I, I, I just will always I will never forget how I felt that that day. Um, after after that news came down, 
Um, even though I had been kind of predicting it for like months. Um, yeah. So that is, that is my number two. So I did have whiffing and free agency, but I changed it because of the fact that, well, number one, I did think we we're going to talk about it, but number two, the big thing for me with Kevin Durant was everything changed when he tore his Achilles and That's it was fair. suddenly, That's totally suddenly, fair. you know, Look, if if we're talking about a healthy Kevin Durant going to the Nets, then that is a death blow, right? Like that would suck so much. But now we're at the point where it's maybe the Nets are very good with Kevin Durant. If they're able to get someone like a Giroux Holiday or any other pieces and they're able to build it out a little bit more, I'm still skeptical. But they're certainly more convincing to me as a contender. But with Kevin Durant on an Achilles injury, you know, you read all of the stories I, and you see for those of you who even lived all of them. I mean, I was not alive for the Dominique Wilkins resurgence year, but emphasis no, it, on year. It lasted only one year. I told uh, 1000 percent on all of that, but it was it comes down to. They had been literally planning everything, everything for their organization for a year around that dude. And I, I mean, listen, uh, you, people could say what they want to say. They still <laughs> they still very much wanted him. Um, of course. And they they completely whiffed. But yeah. if you want to kind of say it as turning a negative into a positive. No. Uh, it, uh, yeah. it was really the final nail in the coffin, probably, or at least, you know, yeah. one of the final nails for Steve Mills, which. But that's the thing for me point. is I, I personally had naively and I will admit this and fucking stupidly defended that regime for the better part of whatever it was two years. And I was like, it's okay. They're just, they're doing, they're taking the right steps. They're doing the things they need to do. They're putting the organization in a position, never once looking in the mirror and admitting to myself, like nobody respects these guys. Nobody thinks they have their, their, they know their ass from their elbow. And that day to me, was the solidif solid uh it solidified the fact that like oh wow they these two these guys just picked the fucking JV squad because they have that little faith in the Knicks organization's ability to put one foot in front of the other. So again, putting aside that like it they may very well have sidestepped the ultimate landmine by not getting those dudes and we'll see what happens this year but like i just want to be very clear about why this is number two on my list so i you know for what it's worth that's fair um your your number one so again i thought at least going into it the i thought the list was going to be more negative than positive but as i say it and talk through it and kind of massage it a little bit it's not that bad um my number one it's probably your number one it's trading Kristaps Porzingis it is indeed my we, number are we one talking about is we talking about that before KFS no we're, we're what are you talking it's, right. yeah it's the day they traded Kristaps that's that happened right. within the last two years yeah okay, I thought yeah for some reason I was blanking yeah so um wait no did yeah it was 2019 January 2019 okay. <laughs> I know it I, seems I, like a lot it of seems time like ages ago best. oh my god that um, happened January of 2019 yeah just the shock of you go from someone who you see as an integral part of your team to just gone. And I mean, listen, we talked about this, how 
even before that trade where there was a window of time for Porzingis where if you wanted to trade him, you had to. Because if you were afraid of giving him max money, then you wouldn't have been able to do that until December 15th of the following year. And then you're trading a player on a max contract who's not very healthy. And you're talking on a guy who tweeted, you know, LA Clippers with some emojis and then claiming he was hacked. Uh, the guy who leaked that he didn't go to an exit interview because uh, he didn't really want to do that and he was fed up, which is why you go to the exit interview in the first place to air your grievances, um, to, you know, the threat of not signing the qualifying offer and having everything done in Spain. Or when Fisdale talked about how he's not really sprinting, he then just releases a video of him sprinting. All of these ridiculous things and then you learn about what goes on maybe behind the scenes with his brother. It was a shocking thing and I I think that I accepted it pretty easily at the time where before Woj said he was traded and it was that buildup. I remember tweeting something like, you know, I, I want players who want to be here and if Porzingis doesn't want to be here then to me it feels pretty clear. You got to just look for the right package. I think the biggest thing for me is it's how we perceive the aftermath, right? Because that's well put. If Dennis Smith Jr. doesn't turn into something, then that's a significant part. If the two first round picks don't turn into something, then that's a significant part. If you can't turn your cap space into future assets, then that is a significant part. And so to me, it's kind of like parsing out what happened in the immediate in the, in the present at the time, what would happen in the immediate future, and then what would happen in the long-term future. And the reason why this is my number one is because I can see this storyline not being solved for another 10 years, depending on what happens with those two picks. I mean, we're talking about a 2023 pick where it's probably a kid who is 15 years old right now. And how are we going to evaluate, you know, someone who's like 18 or 19 yeah, at the time? It's no, really hard to do. And that's for sure. But I, the reason I think that I think the actual, I think the actual nuts and bolts of the trade, we will, I think we'll have an idea of that part of it within, uh, I think we'll have an idea of that within two years, maybe three, because Again, the 2023 pick is is top 10 protected and like, yeah, okay. let's say that pick is whatever it is and they get a guy, you know, even if they get a guy um, that is that is very good, that turns out to be very good with that pick. It's I think and I also think we're kind of going to know whether Porzing, what Porzingis is going to be to the Mavs and for the Mavs, like over the next like couple, you know couple of years although who knows maybe maybe the first four years of his contract are a disaster and then he goes and wins a championship with luke in his fifth year i for me though the biggest thing is what does leon rose do with the knicks and i think because i think if kp doesn't get traded i think steve mills still has a job um yeah. i think that I, I don't know how else to say it other than that because if he doesn't get traded they Either because then they because then they can't salary dump him 
because then they're left in a position where they either just let him walk and restrict the free agency, which they were never going to do. He signs a qualifying offer, which he was ne- he was never going to do. Or in all likelihood, he signs whatever a two plus one offer sheet or maybe who knows? Maybe they sign him to a max, whatever they sign into a contract. He comes back last year and they have they spend the rest of that money to put the best possible pieces around Porzingis. And they probably win enough. I mean, I would be shocked if they didn't win enough games to get Dolan to to let Steve Mills still have his job and continue to make moves um, for this team. And he does not have that opportunity anymore. And I'm thankful that he does not have that opportunity. And I, I ended one of my newsletters last week with like, a, which world would you rather be in? The one where they have KP and like. Mitch and RJ and like maybe are a trade away from being like a not real contender, but like a, you know, pseudo want to be content. I point is, that's not this conversation for me. This conversation for me is like I could watch sports and, and be a fan of this team for another 50 years. I will never be as shocked as that, that the day that that happened. Never in a million years. It just it, it, it was. <laughs> Do you remember the first tweet about the meeting? The Woj tweet about the meeting? Um, what was the exact? I wish I could remember the wording of the tweet. Where he like? Do you remember what it said? I d- I mean I know what you're talking about. It was like the Kristaps Porzingis and 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 the Knicks brass have like had a meeting today to discuss his future with the team, right? I think it was that something along those lines, and then. And then I think the tra- I think I think the list of preferred trade destinations tweet came. I think that came before the actual the tweet about him being traded. I'm ninety percent sure about that. But it just well, one of them. One of them I just looked up was Kristaps Porzingis left the Knicks with the impression that he prefers to be traded. League sources tell Ramona Shelburne. And there you go. Okay. Knicks are expected to commence discussions on moving him ahead of next Thursday's deadline. Yeah. And then it was like within two hours where he was gone. Yeah. No. And and. Uh, Much of this unfolded on the LIRR for me as I was sitting next to my um, backpack, which is something like an eight-year-old would have. My spray ground Porzingis backpack that my wife had got me for Christmas. I think she thought she was getting it for me as like a joke gift, like that I would never actually leave the house with this ridiculous thing. And then I proceeded to wear it on my back for like the next however long until he got traded. Um (laughs) And it was like my favorite possession because I thought it was just like so cool. Yeah. So that was that was my experience of that. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that ends up. Um, I have a feeling we'll be talking about it. Um, <laughs> if we do, if we do a version of this, you know, after the 500th episode or however many episodes there are of the show, I have a feeling this will this will come up again. Um, Jeremy. Uh, you got to go um, this uh, as we, we we were we were good that one. Well, it's a couple of weeks. We we're like, we're going to keep it short. and We kept it short. Not so much today. We relapsed. We relapsed back back. Uh, we fell off the wagon, um, but that's fine. So uh, thank you for for being with me for so many of uh, these 250. I, I literally there there is no one I could imagine um, doing this with as often as I do it with you. And enjoying it as much as i enjoy it with you and um you know this never feels like a chore um or 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 if if if, even if there are days where i'm not like oh i can't wait to podcast today by the end of it i'm like i'm so happy i did that this was fun (laughs) um and i hope you feel the way same way i hope our listeners feel the same way um anything else from you before we go 
Um, I just want to know next year's salary cap. (laughs) There's so many pieces that I have that I want to contribute or thoughts. I can't, I just, I just want the salary cap, but That's, uh, that's fair. But yes, uh, 250 is wonderful. Uh, here's to the next 250, and um, hopefully there's a winning team in that time. That's two years from now. So uh, if there isn't, then we might have to reevaluate uh, <laughs> our life choices. That's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, that was great. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, thank you um, for for this. Everybody else, stick around. Um, I didn't say anything about it at the top of the show, but I got a surprise guest to finish us off. So, uh, stick around for a minute for that. All right. So, um, here with me now, um, to celebrate the 250th episode of the Knicks Film School podcast are, um, a returning guest. You have, and you've been in the background of many shows. Um, my wife and, and best friend, Dolores Cusimano Macri, say hi. Where's my entrance music? You don't get special. Andrew Claudio, I want Return of the Mac to play before this whole begins because that's my entrance music. No, that's not your. That's, that entrance music is. Your Macri. I think, no, actually, we'll get sued. So. Don't well, I don't listen. Don't I don't know where Mac Morrison is right now, but I don't think he's, he's worrying. in London. I follow him on Instagram. I'm a fan. Really? Yes. One, I had a rapid fire series of questions I was going to do at the end, and one of them was, "Who's your favorite Twitter fellow?" Um, but also, Mark Morris actually replied to me once on on Twitter because I posted. <laughs> that is not me. <laughs> well, we're gonna. I didn't even introduce our other guest yet. <laughs> he he replied to you on Twitter. Yeah, he. I posted something, and then he wrote. Thank you. Follow me on Instagram. Then I followed him on Instagram. Oh, you told me about that. Yes, I remember yeah. that. Um, Don't sue us if you... Andrew Claudio, I want the music. Uh, so we also have another guest joining us. Um, she's burping. She's burping. Microphone. She's very small. She just decided that she didn't like a Malamar. Um, Scarlett Ray Macri, my our daughter. Say hi. Say hi. Say hello. Just say Hi. <laughs> She doesn't want to talk. Okay, so we have one shy podcast guest who's not going to say anything, and hopefully she's not going to keep burping. <laughs> um, so uh, we'll keep this brief, I promise. I did not give you a list of questions ahead of time, which I know you're not happy about. But um, this show has now been going on for two years. Yes. So when I started this, I know I had been like blogging. <laughs> I know I had been like blogging for a while before this, but I think. When I started doing the show, things kind of kicked up a notch. Um, did you think it would turn into like, in terms of how much time it takes out of our lives? Do you think? Did you think it would turn into what it's turned into? Um, honestly, no. Um, I thought it was going to be like a once a week podcast, but it's turned into something else. But I'm not complaining. I think it's, go outside. You can't burp on the air. It's not me burping, people. In case not you, her. <laughs> go burp. Go inside. Or be quiet. You're gross. Yeah, you're gross. <laughs> so you didn't think it would turn into this? I don't know what it was going to turn into. I'm, I was hopeful, but I'm really happy that it turned into what it is. And I'm happy that you have a lot of, of listeners um, and followers. And so uh, the whole thing is very, very cool. So you stole my next question because I was going to ask you, um, are you, do you think that, 
do you think that you would be a happier person if I was not a Nick fan and I didn't create Nick's content and I didn't spend, I don't want to give an estimate of how many hours a week I spend doing this, but whatever the number is. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, be honest. I'm joking. No. If I really felt that way, I would have. I would tell you in private, not on your podcast, but I don't tell you that because it's not true. Um, I don't know. We've met a lot of cool people and- We've made a lot of friends from the whole Knicks world, so I'm very... It's been fun. Um, Sassy, you want to say something? Life is boring because we're, you know, it's COVID, but, you know, pre-COVID, it was very fun. Um, Okay, so you, you don't think you would be a happier person. Do you think I would be a happier person if there were no Knicks? Maybe. <laughs> no. Um, I think you'd be happier if the Knicks were a better team. Um, but no, I don't think you'd be happier if there was no Knicks and no Knicks content. Are you kidding? Why, why do you say that? Because I know you and you, you, you need an outlet to write. You need an outlet to express yourself. And this is your outlet. Does it bother you that our... Our lovely little child here, who I'm going to pickle a little bit. Does it bother you that, like, our our life and family and everything, like, because you know I need, you know I need more. Yeah, of course. Does that bother you? No. It Why are you making that face at me? I'm asking no, you. I'm not making a face. It doesn't bother me at all. No. No, why are you putting me on the spot? I'm just asking you. I'm, these are the hard-hitting questions that the people want to hear. This is why I wanted a list of one of And this is why I didn't give you a list of questions ahead of time. I want a list. I Like when celebrities go on the radio or on an interview, they have, there's a list of like topics that you're not supposed to ask. There's a list of like questions you can ask, and I wanted a list. So is this not something this you would want me to ask? No, I would have crossed it off. <laughs> so that's interesting to me. Um, are you... Are you um, so knowing that of my, however many Twitter followers I have, 12,000 12, of my Twitter followers, most of whom purport to be men, knowing that most of those are probably young women um, pretending to be men because they just, they want to just be a part of this experience because I'm so, <laughs> I'm so, um, I'm so wonderful. Um, no, but in those, are you, are you, are you like, do you ever get like jealous or anything? Do I get jealous? Yeah. Of the millions of men who like message you on a daily basis? Yes, very jealous. <laughs> very. What are you doing? Um the, kids the off there. climbing on the counter. Not sure what's gonna happen. Okay, so you're not jealous. Um so you're happy. Yeah, of course I am. I mean you I'm not happy change. because of COVID, but I'm happy. No, I mean, but you you you're happy with how this has turned out and you're happy with me doing this. You don't have any you know, no, I, I like I said, I've benefited from it because I've enjoyed the Nick outings that I've been with you on. I've met a lot of fun people who are like, oh, wow, you're Macri's wife. That's so cool. <laughs> and we've met like we've made friends like shout out to Jeff and Emily. Like we've made a lot of friends that we hang out with from the Nick's world. Another um, another another couple that we hang out with. Shout out to. Oh my loves! Oh Barry, you can shout out oh, whoever. Shout out to Barry and his wife, who we adore. Also, yes. so we've made a lot of friends. Um. Okay, I'm happy. I just wanted this is this is me putting you on the spot to make sure that you do not feed those fish. 
I don't know how our fish is still alive. Truthfully. All right. Um, it is a warrior, that fish. It is. Let's let's finish this up. I'm going to throw some rapid fire questions at you and you have to answer them. Oh, God. Um, what do you think has been your, what has been the most memorable moment involving the Knicks since we have gotten together? Um, well, besides the 2012-2013 season, that was that season, right? Yeah. That was the season that we first started dating. That was the season when we started first dating. started dating, and I never really watched basketball until then. And we watched basketball, like, <laughs> the entire second half of the season when we started dating. So that's very memorable for me. Um, and also, when you started covering games, I thought that was really cool that I got to hear your voice on the TV. <laughs> it was so cool. <laughs> that was fun. What are you doing? You could speak into the mic. You could say something. Why don't you come say hi? She right. said no. Um, favorite Nick? Ever? I mean, you've been. You said yourself. You've been watching. Or f- favorite or- favorite Nick. Period. Who's been your your favorite Nick? Oh, I don't think that'll be a popular answer. You say it. I like Carmelo Anthony, but I also love J.R. Smith. Okay, um, then I'll ask my. I'll skip ahead to a different question. If you were go back in time to twenty two year old Dolores, single in a bar, who is the one? JJ Redick. But, oh, but he's not on the Knicks. Wow, you the fact that you were. <laughs> went, wow. What? So this is a handsome man. I didn't know you had a thing for him. I was going to say, who's the Nick you wished hit on you? Oh, um, I think Tim Hardaway Jr. is really cute, but he's a. F- Former Nick. No, I was, it, it could be a former Nick. So it would be Tim Hardaway Jr. I think he's attractive, yeah. Okay. Um, least favorite Nick? Oh. Porzingis. You don't have to say that. No, it's the truth. Especially after the other day where he posted um, a video on his Instagram of him, like, dunking over a Nick. But actually, they lost that game, so ha! Joke's on you. Um, a couple more... Um, what, what do you, what do you think about this? You want to say hi now? No? Hello. No. When did you get so shy? Say my name's Sassy. Um, what, what do you think the Knicks are going to do this season? Honestly? Yeah. They're going to suck. Okay. Um, do you think they will be good (laughs) at some point in our lifetime? I hope so. Yeah, I do. Definitely with the new management. I just think it's going to, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a year. I think it's going to take... A few years, but I think it will happen. Um, do you want our uh, daughter, soon-to-be daughters, to grow up being Knicks fans? I would love that. I think it's so special to root for a sports team. So why not the Knicks? What about this sports team? Why not the Knicks? Okay. Um, where do you think we're going to be living in five years? Hopefully not where we are now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I take that back. It's a lovely place where we live in this island. Um, hopefully Manhattan or Brooklyn or somewhere not here. Okay. Um, do you think I'll be teaching still in five years? Yes, I do. Oh, wow. Okay. I do. Um, I think, yeah. How many more years do you have to be vested? I think after <laughs> that you'll leave. Thinking about the health insurance. I think that's I five it. years. Um, okay. Aw, La- my baby's kissing me. Uh, last question. Is, th- are you, are you looking forward are you happier when basketball is being played or when it is off season? Uh, that's a difficult question. Um, I'm happy when the Knicks are playing well and you're in a good mood. Um, I don't like when there is stink 
and you have to find content about them. That's not fun. But the summer break is very nice, I must say, from everything. Um, the summer break is nice. Yeah. Um, okay. That's it. That's all I have for you. These are all the hard-hitting questions I came up with. Sassy, do you have anything you want to add? What are you going to be for Halloween? Do you want to say what you're going to be for Halloween? What are you going to be for Halloween? Me? Yeah. I had not thought about it. I guess I should probably think about well, it at some point soon. Uh, a mummy? A mummy? Oh. Jeremy Cohen. What? Oh, the toilet paper thing? Yeah. Yeah. What do we make today? A mummy. Yeah, we made a mummy, but daddy's not going to be a mummy, right? I think he should be a mummy. I'm going to wrap you up a toilet paper. You're going to wrap me up a toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> what if I don't want to be wrapped up what a toilet paper? What if it rains? That could be, like, oh, be gross. That would be kind of gross. All right. Um, I'm sure people are loving listening to this. Um, anything else? What, what else do you want to say, Sass? What about my tongue? I'm the tongue. You want to lick my tongue? <laughs> this is inappropriate for this podcast. I think it's inappropriate for any podcast. All right, that's it. I'm done torturing you. Um, everybody out there, thank you for listening to another episode of the Next Film School Podcast. Thank you for listening to, if you've ever listened to any of the previous 249 episodes, uh, I appreciate it. I still, to this day, am shocked that anybody wants to listen to anything that I say. Um, so the fact that you do um, means a lot. Why did you, you just lick my shirt sleeve? <laughs> All right. Everybody have a great week. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Say bye. <laughs> or just hit your head against the mic. <laughs> All right. We'll see you later, everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.